Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to chat with James Whitemore. Now, James is the CMO at NetApp. NetApp, as he will tell you, is a 30-year-old company but they're acting like a startup. And James talks about the way he accomplishes this, hitting on a number of different keys. One is sales and marketing alignment. Interestingly with James, he came from a sales background. If you look at some of the earlier parts of his career, companies like IBM, Sun Microsystems, some amazing brands that have got him to where he is today. But as he talks about the ability to communicate across those lines, The other thing we hit on is the importance of being real. I think that's also about communication. And the way they are being real is they actually have their own content channel. This is NetApp TV. We hit on this in the second part of our conversation, unpacking how this project came to be, what their goals are, and how they're seeing some really interesting findings. This is a great episode if you're all about communication and striving to that leadership that unites sales and marketing. Here's my chat with James. James, really excited to jump in and understand how you found this amazing opportunity. I mean, for anyone to be a CMO for six years in one spot means it's got to be amazing. How did these stars line up at NetApp? Well, NetApp acquired a company uh, that I was a previous CMO at, um, a a company called Solidfire, uh, who NetApp acquired uh, just right around six years ago. And um, as I transitioned over uh, into NetApp, I was running all of the go-to-market um, functions at Solidfire, uh, sales and marketing and everything around that. Uh, spent the first year at NetApp uh, basically transitioning all those go-to-market teams into their new homes at our uh, at NetApp and then uh, spent a, a year or so working for the then CMO and then stepped into the CMO chair. So it's not quite six years in the CMO role. It's six years at NetApp, um, but it's not quite uh, six years as the CMO here at NetApp. Well, technically, I'm even more impressed now because, you know, it's not six years, it's almost eight years in total, which is even even more rare. And to be a, a leader in multiple ways, what do you think looking back, because there's so many stories of acquisitions that go well, but probably more that don't go well. What do you think went well, not just about the acquisition, but you being able to make that jump to oversee, you know, the company as a whole? Well, you know, I think, you know, I'm a a pretty unique marketing leader, I guess, in a a lot of ways. And it comes from my background in sales. I started my career in sales, uh, probably spent half my uh, career actually running selling teams all around the globe, uh, uh, technical selling teams, account selling teams, um, uh, uh, geo and territory selling teams, all, all types of selling teams. I um, spent half my career doing that. Uh, I'm typically the mouthy sales guy who's always telling the marketing teams what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. And uh, hey, presto, you end up in a marketing chair. And uh, you know, the best times in my career is when I've had the uh, chances like at Solidify to run an entire go-to-market function where you've got sell, sales and marketing all part of one organization. 
then I'm equally happy running sales or marketing, really. Um, to me, it's all part of one of the same process. And the ability to move seamlessly between sales positions and marketing positions, I think, is pretty unique. Uh, there's not many people I know um, who have made those transitions successfully. It's interesting as you describe the the way a sales leader may speak versus the way a marketer may typically speak. And as you've made that shift over, what type of approach do you have with your sales leader in that way? Because I think a lot of the time we hear sales and marketing, all you know, these two leaders almost have to figure out how to communicate with each other. Do you find it easier now or harder to almost chat with your new clone? I find it you know, pretty easy and uh, it is an entirely different language. Uh, when I'm working within the marketing teams, you talk marketing speak. When you're working within the selling teams, you really try and avoid the marketing speak and uh, speak in terms that they understand. And you know, the last couple of years has been really interesting as we've basically re-educated selling teams on uh, how to deal with a lot of new technology we brought to the table, uh, how to understand how to act more like inside selling teams rather than classic B2B enterprise selling teams as they've all been locked down at home. And, you know, uh, changing the language that we use with the selling teams has been important. But, you know, you keep it data-based, you keep it data-driven, you keep it um, very factual, and uh, you don't have to share the uh, the sausage-making of marketing with people who are really not interested in it. So another area that I know you're you're hot on is the pace at which you move and, and your yeah. teams are expected to move. Now, this is interesting, you know, for someone who looked you up on LinkedIn, you've been at some big companies that I'm sure want to move fast, but don't always. I mean, you've got, you know, IBM, Sun, Sun Systems. Where did you get to really embrace speed? Was it at SolidFire being more of that startup, as you described? No, you know, after some microsystems, I you know, did a succession of three uh, successful startups. And it was definitely after you know, a big company, some microsystems experience, where you're trying to operate at an entirely different scale. I mean, you know, I went from running marketing teams of several thousand people at Sun uh, to running a marketing team of five people at uh, the first startup. And kind of like, right. yeah, you know, and uh, spending kind of like a decade running uh, startups really teaches you to kind of like roll up your sleeves, understand the data, test, iterate, um, kind of like a you know, much more agile kind of like a, a type of approach. And to be able to bring that to the table back into a big company. And a lot of the people that are in the marketing team here at NetApp, a lot of the people have been through startup environments, many of them with me, and um, you know, their ability to bring those that type of mentality of rapid movement, test, learn, iterate uh, to the table is really key. So I'm curious how you embrace those people, but also manage people who may not be open to that type of pace. I mean, coming into a company like NetApp, as you said, you, you were acquired in there. I'm sure that there were people that were comfortable at a different pace. Is there a way that you bring them up or is it very much a, this is the way we move and if you don't like it, this isn't the organization for you? Yeah, you know, it was, it was kind of rough for the first year um, as we blended two kind of like cultures and ways of operating together. And, um, he, you know, there were some people from both sides of the story who figured out that they, you know, they didn't want to be, uh, you know, in the organization. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just the people who had come at, 
from a long legacy of NetApp. But I, you know, for me, the secret is um, to compartmentalize where you need to the things that you really need that kind of like startup mentality. And that typically is in the demand gen. Uh, efforts and kind of like you know if you think about kind of like big company marketing or at least kind of like yeah five years ago there was a lot of content syndication there was a lot of big tech event marketing there was a lot of things that have been done for the last 10 years and just kept getting done that were all supposed to feed into a demand engine but really nobody had any clue how they did it they just you know knew that uh, there was an impact and yeah we segmented that off and built the concepts of demand centers and we built specific teams to run the campaigns and the demand gen programs and then there were other parts of the organization that we really didn't try and change the way they operated they did a darn good job NetApp is a 30 year old company that dominates in many segments and you don't need to disrupt everything so pick your battles and uh, you know don't try and be too disruptive where you don't need to be disruptive i think i think that's great advice i i think picking your battles is something that every cmo needs to understand how to balance I, i'm curious when when you think of the type of teams that you've built where is the area of the business that you still find that you want to dig the deepest into just based on you know the area that you focused earlier in your career like what's your passion spot as a cmo that you still get to dig in you know, finding new, uh, helping a company explore new marketplaces. And if you think about NetApp, and I appreciate that many uh, people who may be um, listening, watching to this may not know NetApp very well, but it's a 30-year-old company that has really dominated in enterprise data management, data storage. And over the last three years, uh, we have built an incredible portfolio of cloud-based offerings, which are sold uh, through our own sales channels, through sold through Microsoft, through AWS and Google. Uh, and that business has grown from less than a million dollars five years ago in ARR to well on track to be a billion dollars in ARR, one of the fastest growing cloud portfolios. Wow. Um, yeah, it's quite incredible. And um, to do that, uh, we had to go kind of like out of our comfort zone, our comfort zone of classic B2B enterprise selling to uh, the IT operations crews who are building large scale data centers and really kind of like get into the hearts and minds of the cloud ops gang. It's more kind of like your know, financial orientated selling rather than technology orientated selling. It's about optimization of cloud spend and costs and delivering uh, a lot of economies um, that they can't achieve through the native services that are provided by those uh, large-scale clouds. So we basically had to teach an entire new uh, kind of like discipline to the marketing team. And three years ago, uh, we decided that we needed an entirely new MarTech stack to do that. We segmented that off. We built uh, a MarTech stack. We built a MarTech team. Uh, we built a campaign and demand gen team uh, you know, specifically to support that part of the business. And then three years later, that all now has migrated to run all of our marketing programs and the old legacy systems are being end of life. So we started kind of like, you know, really small, very focused, uh, proved the success of that. Uh, and now kind of like are starting to replicate uh, some of those uh, processes across our mainstream marketing efforts. Very cool. A very lean startup mindset within, you said, a 30-year-old business that's, you know, set in its ways, but, you know, clearly open to adapting, which is exciting. Yeah. 
I was going to say, I always take the mentality, hey, give me 10 smart people uh, and the freedom to do what uh, I know I need to do as a marketeer and we can get you know anything kick-started. Uh, and that you know, proved out in, in that instance. Very cool. We're going to take a quick break here and then we will be back to chat about some of the breakout ideas that this team has been able to bring to market at NetApp. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. If someone were to ask you what type of leadership style you have, how well could you answer? I think when you hear James talk, you can tell his leadership style. You can tell what he stands for. In fact, that conversation flowed so naturally, but it very much dovetailed with his about me section on LinkedIn, which is so well written. He hits on four areas that define him. The time that he balances between sales and marketing, the language he uses, which is directly clear, the speed at which he expects his team to move, and the inclusivity of the teams he likes to build. This defines what it's like to work for James. And I think all of us need to have this if we want to get to that leadership level. We need to set the expectations. I do this with people who I work with. This is the type of person I am. This is what you've got to be comfortable with. I want to know the same thing about you. And you can tell that James is very much that type to find a way to ensure both sides can communicate by setting expectations. So James, one of the things I'm curious about you, and you asked this question on your LinkedIn, which is, what is a song you'd like to be stranded on an island with? Uh, and I'm going to ask you instead, what is the streaming service that you wish you would be stranded on an island, island with? Are you a Netflix guy? Are you a Prime guy? How do you think? Uh, title. Uh, very rarely watch you know, TV content, uh, music, music, music. BBC Sounds app and title as a music player, and uh, I would be more than happy. All right, so you're a music guy. That's that's mm. your form of streaming. That said, you have you have gone out and launched your own streaming service at NetApp. Tell us a little bit about how this idea came to be. How did the idea come to be? Um, you know, basically, uh, we were sitting down, kind of like just uh, hashing through all the changes that were taking place in the event world as everything moved towards 
virtual events and so much of our content production for those events became more TV-like. And uh, it was all kind of like, you know, very isolated. It was, you know, you created content that you would use at a Cisco Live or VMworld or any one of the hundreds of events that we participated in. That content would just exist in their platforms. And it was kind of like, why are we creating content that just exists in their platforms? And then the second thing that happened is that internal communications group got moved under uh, my team. And we were looking at the ways that we you know, ran company all hands and uh, gave executives internal platforms to be able to communicate. And it was so dull. It was so boring. Right. And everything was really kind of like architected around kind of like in-person town halls, which just, you know, clearly weren't going to happen. So, you know, we came up with this idea, let's just put it all on our platform. Um, and we went out and we spec'd uh, with Brightco what that platform should look like. We took 10 people. Uh, we hired a couple of people, an Emmy, an Emmy award-winning CNN producer and a couple of other TV producers. And we told them, here's a bunch of money. Here's the best technology platform see what you can do and people just rallied behind it and they came up with something which is uh, you know really quite interesting it's driving so much traffic right now it's quite amazing so i want, I want to make sure people understand specifically what we're talking about in terms mm. of the deliverable at the end of the day here so this is an actual app that people can download do they have to be a net app employee to your point some of those internal or this is for anyone who's interested in cloud computing anyone who's interested i mean it's used for a variety of purposes i mean obviously for general content um, uh, publication also for our learning services team who are starting to deliver uh, some of the learning uh, content through it it's used as an internal tool as well but anyone can download it it's a you know it's a at the back end it's a bright cove platform uh, we use it across basically uh, all of the marketing journeys the campaigns as well as internal and for things like training our partner communities our customer communities so a real powerful tool and if you're not familiar with bright cove you know when you log on it looks like a netflix platform you can select your channels you can you know have recommended content highly personalized type of content and just a very powerful tool that we get to curate and use across our marketing programs very cool yeah we i mean at uberflip we actually partner with bright cove so we understand the power of video and, and the ability to bring video in side by side with other forms of content, but I think there there's definitely that opportunity for this streaming type service for people who want, you know, to sit down on their couch and learn about work the same way they learn, you know, in their personal lives or just relax in their personal lives. When you took on this initiative, uh, you know, as you said, you know, a whack of money was was put in front to go do this and accomplish this. What type of goals did you set to justify? you know, this spend and understand what would be success? Well, yeah, it was an incremental spend, but basically what we did is looked at all the money that we had allocated for, you know, live events. And, you know, big tech is such a kind of like, you know, a, a big event type of culture. I mean, it seems like there's a pack of people just travel around the world 12 months a year attending each other's events. And it costs millions and millions of dollars. And as that all kind of like went to pot with, um, with the pandemic, kind of like, yeah, there were budgets available that were uh, could be reinvested. And it wasn't an incremental spend. It was just a reuse of money that was basically enabled by a, a whole shift in behavior in, those, uh, in that event execution. 
Um, and you know, you should really just go to NetApp TV, NetApp.tv, and check it out. I think um, you know, hopefully, it'll be an inspiration of what's you know, possible with um, just a few people and. Um, you know, it's not a ton of money to be able to do this. And typically your content teams, you give them uh, a new uh, platform to deliver content for, they get very excited by that. And it was very quick to turn around too. That's great. That's great. What has been maybe one of the, you know, exciting surprises in terms of content engagement that people are flooding to and, and downloading? I mean, what's your stranger things, if you will? Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, there's a whole bunch of content that you never thought would be quite so popular. We had Whitney Cummings, a comedian, a stand-up comedian. Whitney Cummings host uh, a whole bunch of content for us that uh, we weren't quite sure how that would turn out. She's quite a risque um, a comedian, uh, but people love that. And then there's a whole bunch of you know, real human content. You know, like for example, our CEO, George, his twin brother, Thomas, is uh, CEO of Google Cloud. And the two of them are identical. And uh, we had a few things where their mother joined and she was getting mixed up between Thomas and George. And kind of like a, it's just little human, humorous uh, things. People love uh, kind of like a little humor in, uh, in what can be a very dull tech marketing world. I love that. I love uh, bringing in the family. I feel like that's, uh, you know, there's, there's starting to see more of that even in sports entertainment now. With, exactly. I, I think there's the two Peyton brother, or sorry, the two uh, Manning brothers, uh, you yeah. know, in football who are doing a broadcast together. And I think that human element, like you said, is is a little bit more raw at times and, and shows a little bit more that a, a big company can just be a bunch of, of great people. Yeah. And I think that's you know an important part of our brand platform. Just show up as people, as humans. Kind of like we're all humans, right? Uh, and I always believe that you know if we're not having fun, our audience isn't having fun. And if our audience isn't having fun, they're going to get real bored somewhere you know, along the way. And you might as well just you know bring a little entertainment to it. It's great advice, James. We're going to take another quick break here. We'll be back with some rapid fire questions on the marketer's journey. absolutely love that James has taken on this NetApp TV project. I think it's such a smart play for marketers to ensure they own their content. And we hear so much about this. In contrast, a lot of people will send content off their site. And I'm not suggesting your content shouldn't live on YouTube, shouldn't be used as James shares on a Cisco type event. But ultimately, we want to make sure that our organization can leverage the content that we've worked so hard to create. Now, NetApp TV has done a great job with their video content, but think about all the content that pulses through your organization. You've got videos, you've got blog posts, you've got eBooks, you've got different assets, and those assets need to be able to be found and directed to so that we can guide that journey. We can keep them on a path of binging one piece to the next, no different than a streaming service, but across every stage of the buyer journey, across every channel, whether it's from sales, whether it's a marketing, email that's sent out. We need to be able to create these app-like experiences for our buyers so that they build a bond with us as a brand. James, been a lot of fun talking about your journey. Really cool talking about, you know, the type of streaming services. I promise I'm not going to ask you what album 
you're listening to as part of my rapid fire questions here, but I do have some, some more marketing focused questions. The first one is, as you look at the next CMO, who's going to, you know, replace you or come from your team, do you think they're going to come from being more of a generalist or a specialist in a certain area of marketing? I think they're going to be a well-rounded generalist who has experience across sales and marketing. Um, and that experience across sales and marketing is very, very key for me. And I push a lot of our marketing team to go, go like, get sales experience. It's it's so, so critical for me. That's that's great advice. And I, and I couldn't agree more as a marketer myself. My first role was in sales and mm-hmm. so informative of understanding how people buy Aside from learning how to sell, when someone's in a marketing role, what do you wish they would do more of on a daily basis? Talk to a customer, a prospect, actually talk to them, actually go out, kind of like hang with them if you can uh, now, but come like, but there's always opportunities where, you know, I push people to show up in our briefing centers. You can sit at the back, you can host a lunch, you can, but, uh, you know, it's impossible for me to think about uh, how you can be a good marketeer if you really do not have um, a good understanding of the customer and an op- you know, and enough of a network of people that you can pick up the phone and say, hey, I got this idea. Let me test it against you. So just talk to customers, prospects, partners. Great advice. So let's shift to content. We already talked about you know NetApp TV and the role of content in that way. And you gave us a lot of great tips. But what is the type of content marketing that captures your attention as a buyer these days? Something that's uh, different. It's something that is very short form. Come like I'll give any piece of content about ninety seconds, uh, and if you want me to pay attention for longer than that, it's got to be something that's really, really good. So typically, come like I, you know, it's a ninety second rule for me, and something that's you know uh, that's uh, just kind of direct and it says, hey, I'm not going to give you everything in this little snippet of content, but if you want more, here's where to go. I like that. I like that. I, I'm definitely on the same bingeable mindset. Yep. Wanna wanna ask you one more uh, quick question here. You talked a lot about the importance of bringing marketing and sales leaders together. If you were to give one piece of, of advice of the best way to create that bond, not just at the at the C level, but at every level, what is the way that marketing and sales teams best speak to each other? In complete transparency, I mean, come like you know, marketing and sales teams have typically talked the language of leads and lead waterfalls, and you know, uh, a lead is irrelevant. Uh, what you've got to be able to do is show, kind of like a selling team, whether it's a country or a segment, an industry segment, whatever, kind of like everything that is happening in the world that they care about, kind of like how that audience is growing, what the engagement rates are. You've got to say to them, hey, we're going to open up the book. If you want to pick up the phone and call. Of that person, you don't have to wait for a lead. Kind of like you know, uh, just transparency and try and you know, kind of like teach them that this old school way of you know qualified leads being passed from marketing to inside selling teams uh, to outside selling teams, you know, it's just irrelevant. And um, so transparency, technology driven, is absolutely key. All right, I, I told you that was the last one, but this is more of a fun question to finish us off. I like to always understand. At the level you're at, and, and I've been there, it's extremely busy as a CMO. How do you take breaks 
for personal balance and within that, maybe where are you going next for one of those breaks? Uh, well, I'm lucky enough to live in Colorado and uh, during the week, I normally come hang out and work at this place, which is uh, in Keystone and uh, my uh, EA Angel gives me uh, about an hour and 15 for lunch every day. I go out and grab a, uh, a couple of runs on the ski slopes, which is just uh, a perfect way to break up the day and then sailing. Uh, sailing is my escape and a week on a boat somewhere just uh, sailing around remote places is the perfect way to recharge. Uh, well, you, you're definitely balancing that surf and ski mentality there between the two. Uh, I am truly jealous of the skiing on a daily basis. That sounds fantastic. It's snowing hard out here. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we're, we're dating this to a winter podcast, as you can tell. But uh, James, thanks so much. Uh, great conversation, great insight in terms of how you become the leader you are today. And I think every marketer's journey is a little bit different. That's why I hope everyone's enjoyed tuning in. Check out a lot of the other CMOs I've gotten to speak to, how their journey is unique. Yours one day will hopefully be told here in its own unique way. This is The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 